Hi and hello, Agile practitioners. Welcome to episode two of Agile Coffee. That's right, it takes two to tango, and there are two of us today. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. Agile Coffee. And here we are. Welcome to the second episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast with Vic. Today I'm joined by John, and we're just going to kind of free flow. We've got a list of topics today that we'd like to go with. Uh, as always, anytime that we announce this, you can follow me at Agile Coffee on Twitter, at Agile Coffee. And you can always include the hashtag AskAgileCoffee. And uh, we will be sure to get your question included on the list. Ask Agile Coffee, all one word. Hashtag Ask Agile Coffee, and then that way you could be part of the conversation. So, um, John, welcome. How are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. It's a Saturday, so. Um, yeah, Saturdays are relaxing nice. Relaxing and recharging. I um, have a cup of coffee in front of me with some ice in it. It's an iced coffee today, so <laughs> be taking care of business with that. Um, is there anything that you wanted to say before we get started with the questions? No, nothing in particular. Um, just uh, living the Agile life and <laughs> learning as I go along. Very good. All right. Well, then, um, today we've got a list of about six or seven questions, and most of these you've, uh, you've contributed, actually all of these. Um, so I'm just basically here as a, a listener, uh, maybe to kind of dive deeper if I have any questions. Uh, hopefully that'll help out the audience at home, too. Um, so let's start with what motivates people. That sounds like a really great and lengthy topic. Um, before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that we, in Agile Coffee format, set the timer for five minutes, and then uh, at the end of the five-minute period, we might ask if we'd like to extend it for another three minutes, and we'll just do a thumbs-up, thumbs-down vote around the room, and, um, and if, if yes, then we'll go three minutes, otherwise uh, we're done. So uh, with that being said, you want to start us off on the clock there for five minutes, and we'll get going. Sure. So, what motivates people? Yeah, I think you know some people are probably familiar with the Dan Pink book Drive, where he discusses you know what what drives people to do what they do. I love that book, and I'll I'll admit I hadn't read the book, but I saw the TED Talk, which is equally mm -hmm. as brilliant, right? RS Animate, I think, is mm -hmm. yeah one that's right. pretty famous. It might have been in London or something. And, you know, the big discovery is that when you're talking about like a non-repetitive physical task or a task that is not a repetitive physical task, so something that requires higher level functions, um, that what motivates people to achieve and do things is not necessarily something monetary, a monetary reward when whatever their financial requirements have happen to be have been met. And that's good. That's a discovery. It's a little bit counterintuitive because probably for the last several hundred years, you know, we've been saying, you know, pay people more, it motivates them more. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you specifically define some kind of a goal and you give people enough monetary uh, potential reward for achieving it, then they're going to try harder. And that's probably true most of the time. But I think what I'm discovering uh, as I work with teams is that there's a really broad array of motives and drives that people have beyond just the non-monetary reward drive. And it's a very difficult thing to figure out. People probably don't really know consciously what their motives are or their drives are. They might not even be conscious to the way that their behavior expresses what could be perceived as a, a motive or some sort of drive. Hmm. And so I guess you could say on my journey to Agile, the plot sort of thickens there, which is how do I, how do I divine what an individual's, an individual team member's motives are and their drives? And why is that important to you? Why do you want to know their motivations? Really so I can help them achieve whatever their objectives are. Mm -hmm. if, if there's something that I can do to help them harness their, their drives, their motives, to get closer to whatever it is that they, that they want, 
and that that also has some sort of positive externality for their employer, uh, for their for their coworkers, then that's something I'd love to catalyze and collaborate with them on. And so, you know, I'm I'm not aware of yet, you know, the frameworks that I could possibly use, um, some sort of a maybe a coaching technique to try to elicit those types of drives, maybe through conversation or observation of some sort. But I can see that it's it's a necessary element to being an effective servant leader and a, a, a coach, if you will, maybe even a trainer, and just a good um, co-worker, I think. Do you have any examples, uh, recent examples in the workplace of um, how you've gone about eliciting these or finding out what people's motivations are and yeah, for actually, good or for bad? I mean, yeah, if it's worked patterns. or if it hasn't worked. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I do is, is just uh, interview. Um, the more casual the interview, the, the better. And based kind of on the Patrick Lencioni model of, you know, five dysfunctions of teams another book where he's got kind of a a, a hierarchy of dysfunctions and and cures i guess you could say that starts with the ground or base layer of trust being the person who takes the risks of exposing one's vulnerability first is the way that i try to build a safe environment with the person whose motivations i'm trying to understand and have them exposed to me. Mm-hmm. So I expose my own personal motivations, my own personal vulnerabilities first to see if maybe there's some sort of connection there. Mm-hmm. And if asking for help is one way of exposing that vulnerability, I think asking for help happens to show some trust. Mm-hmm. And so if there's something you know that this person that I'm, I'm, you know, developing a, a collaborative relationship with is capable of, of helping me in some way. I just go ahead and ask for it. And then, you know, I invite them, you know, to, to share with me what are their motivations, their aspirations that could extend beyond just the here and now, you know, whatever the goal for the team that we're on happens to be with the employer that we're at in, you know, that type of a work setting or beyond then you know i'm interested in hearing about that and offering any kind of guidance support um feedback if it's if it's requested um to that person and that's been actually uh effective most recently um when i've tried that with someone who happened to be in um a servant leader role mm-hmm. let's say and then I've got sort of a counterexample, I guess you could say. And it's not that it's been a one-on-one, you know, kind of a conversation. And maybe that's part of the reason why it didn't go the way that I was hoping it would go. But with with a group of individuals who profess to have some sort of an objective, but hmm. somehow, you know, don't feel that they have the resources required to achieve that objective... And, of course, you know, with not having those resources, feel that it would be futile to start exerting some effort towards those objectives. And, hmm. you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, of course, <laughs> yeah. starts to happen there. Yeah, the first thing I thought of there, too. Yeah. Um, that's pretty interesting. So um, do you have any, any, like, tried and true pattern that you typically do other than kind of asking for help and kind of modeling your own motivations first or is there any or vulnerabilities? Or? I, I think probably the asking for help comes from the core protocols that I was trained in by Jim McCarthy uh, a year or so ago mm-hmm. and I think that it's a great model it's it's not one that I can call myself an expert in yet but by applying myself more to the study you know he's, he's he has podcasts in addition to a book or books Mm-hmm. Um, applying myself to understanding that first in theory and then through experimentation and practice, mm-hmm. I, I could get probably some, some better results. And then 
I'm interested in but not yet knowledgeable about coactive coaching. I've, I've noticed that you know my personal role models in this profession happen to be certified in coactive coaching. And then again, there's another book that's publicly available. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably the direction that I'm going to uh, extend myself into, but I'm open to many others. I mean, related to just coaching in general um, and leadership in general. One, one area actually that I'm, I'm exploring right now is, uh, for example, there's a Toastmasters organization that has a leadership competency track, and I'm pursuing that to see if you know somewhere along the along the lines I, I learn a little bit more about you know investigative conversation, appreciative. Uh, I think it's called, is it called appreciative conversation or appreciative questioning um, is is a, a term that I've heard used in the agile community hmm. which I think probably would be successful just by the psychology that I've seen lately which is when you're not appreciative of what of people's efforts first mm -hmm. of all and what people have historically achieved then there's going to be a very strong psychological filter towards you know you as you as you try to assist people and so starting from you know the ground of really listening to what people are saying taking it at face value appreciating it for what it is and then you know trying to give insights when they're requested um, towards that person's proclaimed goal all right so this brings us to the end of our three minute extension so um as we went around we did give the thumbs up at five minutes and took it to another three minutes and as per our rules we uh we cut the conversation off there uh let us know what you think about this format uh send and send a tweet actually would be great so on twitter you can reply to me at agile coffee uh that's on twitter at agile coffee all one word um, for you Brits out there, that's Agile Coffee, not tea. Uh, well coffee. said. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, also, uh, John did mention a number of books. He mentioned Drive. I think he mentioned Software for Your Brain. Software um, for Your Head. For Your Head, sorry. Uh, that was the Jim McCarthy book. There was um, Coactive, Coactive Coaching. I think he mentioned another one in there as well. So um, all of these notes and any other resources that we mentioned will be up on the show notes, and that's on uh, the website at agilecoffee.com slash episode two episode and the number two um all right all right here we are at the knollwood restaurant i forgot to mention that at the beginning so if you do hear the trains going by or the people clinking their silverware in the background that's to be expected because hey we're in a coffee shop so to speak all right, so next up we have the topic, making a difference. Making a difference, John. How does making a difference uh, apply to you and our lives in Agile? Right, so I think as a, a continuation of, of motivation, you know, we, we work very hard in life uh, at our jobs and then maybe at hobbies, at different causes, charitable causes maybe that we might be involved in. And I think one of the key motivators is that we want to have we want to have some lasting impact, make a difference in life. You know, people talk about leaving their mark or making a dent, whatever the case may be. It has to do, I think, with you know having a feeling of significance in your life. And there was a TED talk. I wish that I could cite the author and speaker, but it was essentially this: that there was an experiment where people were asked to assemble some sort of Lego creature or object and, you know, um, induced to do that, that work by, you know, receiving monetary compensation. And, you know, uh, after they completed the task of, you know, putting together the Legos, they're, you know, paid the comp, the compensation. And then, you know, the, the person that was conducting the experiment in front of this subject would dismantle the Legos and throw them in a bucket and say, um, would you, like, would you please build me another for the same price? 
And I think that the data showed that the more times that you do that, the more money it takes to induce people to continue to build something that they have the feeling is likely to be undone after they've been paid. And ironically, what happens also is that the more somebody works on creating something, the more that they value it. They even value it you know, beyond the objective state, which is to say, they would buy back their own work just to have it continue yeah. rather than you know become undone. Yeah. And so I think that this is the case for all of us, that whatever job we're in, I mean, of course we have this hierarchy of needs. We're trying to keep mm-hmm. ourselves fed and alive and maybe, you know, uh, provide for, for others. But then there's, you know, this thing about peer recognition or mm-hmm. that, the work that we do, you know, pride of workmanship, for example, I think is one of what, you know, making one of the things that making a difference is about. Um, and so along those lines in the agile context where I find myself, I've begun to, you know, um, look inward and why, why I'm doing what I'm doing, because not everybody in this world is going to embrace agile. Not everybody in this world who's actually aware of Agile and experienced in you know working in an Agile team is going to be a proponent for sure. for Agile itself. Right. And it's very possible that people who become aware, you know, competent in in Agile could say ninety eight percent of the time decide that it's not for them mm-hmm. and do something else and that's completely their prerogative. It's certainly not my place to say just because I happen to be an agile enthusiast and an agile practitioner that they're wrong or they're bad or less less um, smart people, good people, whatever you know mm-hmm. positives we want to put to that. And so then the question arises, you know, where do I find making a difference where do i find my significance if 98 percent of my efforts professionally are going to be essentially wasted yeah quote unquote thrown away right and you know i can't remember which one of the books it was that i was reading but you've probably heard this story i think it was an anonymous author of uh, a a young person boy or girl i don't know on a beach Mm. picking up um starfish that are kind of like beached whales you know they're they're too they're pushed too far out by the by the tide onto the beach and they're going to dry out and die unless somebody picks them up and throws them back in to the water and uh, a person more cynical comes along and says hey you know (laughs) there's millions of starfish on these beaches you can't save them all yeah and the person says you know picks up one more and throws it back and says but i just saved that one yeah so you know making a difference uh, is a subjective thing and the question is, you know, what are we willing to make a difference in? How much does it mean to us to make a difference? And how can we make the biggest difference with, you know, the resources that we have? Mm-hmm. And so I was having a conversation with a childhood friend, actually, the other day, um, being, you know, very frank in these terms and saying, you know what? So... This is this is kind of a crossroads that I'm at, asking myself this question, looking for answers. And this childhood friend, ironically, happens to be working for a company that is, I guess you could say, a publisher of motivational uh, materials. Okay. So you know, people walk on fire and you know, hot coals, let's say, and they break, you know, plates and and shingles, and pieces of wood and brick and all that. Mm-hmm to you know make a, a, a mental breakthrough you know about what they're capable of and and help them you know find something that they really want to apply themselves to in their life and you know he he mentioned this specific analogy which i was of, of course familiar with and he said you know if you want to make this impact maybe the way that you do that is you write this book yeah. about you know your insights your message and make a difference and you won't know that person because some point in the future they'll buy your book you know mm-hmm. unbeknownst to you right read it it'll change their lives and then they go make a difference so yeah. um, a podcast is also something that survives the author and mm-hmm. gets distributed well beyond the scope of the author's personal empirical experience I've been listening to podcasts that are making a difference in my life and these have been recorded 
five or four or five years ago in, in the cases of the, the ones I'm listening to right now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, little known to the author. I remember listening to the author's first and second podcast thinking, how long will I be making these podcasts? And here I am like four or five years later yeah. saying, yeah, I'm glad you did. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's it. Is It's kind of like a suspension of disbelief that mm-hmm. lasts a lifetime mm-hmm. uh, because you just simply will never get to know. Yeah. And... You know, <laughs> that's a great way to put it, a suspension <laughs> of disbelief that lasts a lifetime. Yeah. So you can be optimistic and say, well, I know if I, I know I'll touch one starfish's life out there somewhere yeah. someday and just, you know, keep on with that presumption and all will be good for you. Yeah. So I think that that's the direction that I am heading. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to publish it with the belief and hope that someone reads it and that they benefit from it somehow. Yeah, that's great. All right, that brings this topic to a close, and uh, that was that was seven minutes, so we did pretty good on time there. We um, we have a few more topics that we'd like to get into. So next up, our next topic is body of work, and uh, I could think of many ways that you might want to go with this, but I'm going to ask you, John, what you mean by body of work. The next step from making a difference and personal significance is that over our lifetimes, I guess you could say some people have a life work. Hopefully most people have a life work. I think the quality of life that you have when you have a life work is is greater than one that's not not got that element to it. And I was at a coaching retreat several months ago, I guess around December, and a person who I think very highly of, um, John John Daly. I think was his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, or I'm sorry, Alan Daly. Okay. He said, uh, you know, as you're, you're moving through your journey towards becoming not just a practitioner of agile, but somebody who's an expert, maybe you're encroaching on guru, um, you know, territory. You're, you're also creating this body of work, whether it's, presentations that you're making uh, or it's workshops that you're running or podcasts that you're making or books that you're writing or something that you're doing maybe it's even just a lot of tweets um, over sure. the course of time yeah. but you're you're taking your your insights and your experiences and you're some, in some way making them permanent and sharing them with the world at large. Mm-hmm. And this body of work is in some ways describing um, who you are and how you create value. And it establishes just a, you know, some sort of prominence. I, mean, I guess you could call that significance. And so be looking for those kinds of opportunities in life because they're so fulfilling. And... You know, I was, I think I started looking in obvious places, but as I've just, you know, the months have have worn on, I've found that there's many others that aren't, weren't as obvious to me before, but that people are doing this either consciously or subconsciously. I'm not really sure which. And, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing this with is so, for example, you know, there's this Toastmasters group. I've been aware of Toastmasters for probably over 10 years. Mm hmm more like 15, 20, actually, I, I think since I was a teenager, my, I happened to grow up very close geographically to the home office, the original headquarters of, of Toastmasters International. And so I'm aware that it's a sort of volunteer organization somewhat. Yeah, very much, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and more recently I've seen people making significant contributions towards this cause of helping people learn to become better public speakers, better leaders, and better communicators, better facilitators even. And this is their body of work. And it does make them prominent in many ways. Um, and there's, there's certain aspects to it that I guess you could say are fulfilling on on a, on a greater, higher level than some that are just immediately apparent. You know, being able to make a presentation better mm-hmm. at your job is is more likely to make you successful than than not. So what you're saying, I think, is that in addition to the more permanent and conspicuous examples 
mm-hmm. of a body of work, like you said, podcasts or books or um, just general writings, whether they're tweets or not. Um, you have this other other area, which is something that can't be seen so readily yeah, or, or even quantifiable. Yeah. Right. Um, that's pretty interesting. So as an agile practitioner, um, what does body of work mean to you in your day-to-day role versus kind of the larger arc of your career? Right. So I'm thinking that, you know, being part of the Agile community, whether you're, let's say, a, a speaker at um, some sort of conference, or maybe you're just a person who, at an open space, happened to write a, a topic or a theme on a piece of paper and kick off a discussion, that that's part of the body of work that you're actually creating. And the way that I separated my mind is I ask myself if somebody, if you tip, if you look at a typical or stereotypical employee who simply brings a time card, punches it in a machine, mm-hmm. works and then punches out, and that that's really the focus of their energy, professionally speaking, for pay. Things that go beyond that are all this body of work. Mm-hmm. There's there's no time clock going on at you know these types of like meetup groups or open spaces um, where you get paid um, or actually I should say don't get paid yeah. uh, to, to, to give and to share but that it happens I think is somebody is trying to share and help other people but that they actually benefit because of it they, they, get, they gather insights for example the mentor in a uh, Toastmasters group, mm-hmm. yes, they're helping people very much by giving away their time and attention and, and experiences. But you're still also helping yourself. Yes. You're learning. You're learning how to become a better mentor, a better evaluator, yeah. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who's ever been in a study group, like maybe mm-hmm. in high school or college, maybe you've discovered this learner-teacher paradox where mm-hmm. yep. you know, you've, you've done the exercises, you've read the text, you're preparing for the exam, and you don't realize that you're really prepared until somebody says, okay, help me with this one topic. I'm struggling. Right. And all of a sudden, you're reintegrating what you've learned, mm-hmm. and you're seeing connections that you didn't see because you're actually the person explaining it to somebody else. Right. Yep. Great. Um, Let's move on then. We've got another topic. Another topic, coddling teams. Yeah. Coddling teams. I know that uh, sometimes teams need that coddling. Well, that's reassuring. Maybe, maybe all teams at one point. Or I would maybe not go to the extreme and say all, but certainly many, if not most, uh-huh. and potentially all teams at one point in their uh, development cycle, they, they need that coddling. That's good to hear because I, I think I've, I've felt some guilt in the past mm-hmm. um, when, you know, my sincere and um, benign attempts to serve a team, to protect the team, you know, from distractions and, you know, protect them from any kind of negative influence that would prevent them from creating the value that they're capable of, uh, been accused of coddling a team. Mm-hmm. And I think that being human beings, we go through cycles, we go through mood swings, we are this kind of hot mess of emotion, as much as we'd like to think of ourselves as being just very logical and very cause and effect, uh, closed system type of entities, we're we're just not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yes, I, I think to the extent that a scrum master or agile coach really owns the piece of creating a safe environment. Uh, an environment where you can speak without recrimination, uh, speak with impunity, and uh, be sincerely heard, not argued with or denied. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if, if that's the sense that we're talking about coddling, it's not a bad thing. I think maybe the sense where it could become bad is where someone or some group of people inside of a team are kind of stuck in a rut of complaining or disempowering themselves by 
um, obsessing with limited resources that they're given right. and externalizing or projecting their frustration um, onto other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a very fine line. It's one that's hard to draw. Mm-hmm. And I think to, to continue building myself uh, as a better scrum master, agile coach, I want to learn to discern that fine line very well. I always, uh, when you first brought up the topic of coddling teams, my first thought was the retrospective as kind of the, mm-hmm. the safe area, mm-hmm. um, the area that allows people to gripe. Uh, sometimes I, I know some teams and, and scrum masters who just allow that as a gripe session and really mm-hmm. nothing more, um, although it's got so much potential to be much more than a gripe session, but every mm-hmm. now and then, mm-hmm. hey, nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taken a, my teams out to have, um, not not regularly, but every now and then when it's needed, to a bar, mm-hmm. uh, an off-site location, and just let them drink and bitch, you know, mm-hmm. just let them gripe about whatever they want and kind of give them that time not to push back but but to say you know what yeah there's validity in what you're saying i i I hear your point and just be that shoulder to cry on yeah basically um i think that that's like i said in the in the top that's kind of necessary with most teams at some point uh in their life cycle um there's something there mm -hmm. like i I think i've seen the world in black and white or binary terms for Mm -hmm. so long that I've viewed the retro as the team, another deliverable that the team Mm -hmm. has to find an immediately actionable item towards continuous improvement in the way that they work. And the failure to do that is cheating, you know, the the employer. Whereas I think life is more analog than that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're speaking to the humanity of these members of the team, which, like you say, from time to time, um, deserve the venue to vent and externalize what they're feeling and maybe wait another retrospective until they're delivering that absolutely. discovery. Yeah, absolutely. Discovery. We don't work seven days a week, not all of us. We have the two days as a weekend to kind of recharge mm-hmm. and uh, people take vacation from time to time. Why can't you take a, take a sprint or so off to, of, of the retro to, mm-hmm. to kind of have that? Uh, all right. Well, that's the end of five minutes. I think we'll we'll end that topic there. You know, as as we're talking, um, I'm I'm aware of the fact that we're here at the Knollwood Restaurant, which I, I love being here. Um, it's a great atmosphere. Uh, although sometimes we hear the trains go by, sometimes we hear the the people um, you know stop in or in the next room over playing air hockey. That's what we were just witnessing. <laughs> Happy voices, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is great. Um, it, it's really fun. I, I like this atmosphere a lot. Again, thanks to the Knollwood Restaurant in Irvine, uh, right off the five at Sand Canyon. Yep. Moving on, we've got uh, the next topic on the board here. Um, actually, why don't you over, overly idealistic? Overly why don't you idealistic. introduce that? Yeah, so I guess maybe this is like a vocational hazard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, people talk about Agile being um, entrenched in religious wars, let's say. Mm. And, you know, when we go into belief systems um, and paradigms, the reality is that just like with the heliocentric model, and I don't know what the opposite is, a terracentric model, um, you know, we, we, we get so entrenched in a view that we think it's a perfect view and it's unassailable to any kind of criticism or revision or placement. And when we discover that we're wrong, we fall to earth in a very painful way. And... You know, Agile has some great things to it, and I'm one of its strongest proponents and defenders and trying to be um, an ideal uh, practitioner. Mm-hmm. But the more you build up the ideal and place it on a taller and taller pedestal, mm-hmm. the greater the fall will be when something better comes along yeah. or it just doesn't, in practice, measure up to what it does um, in ether, I guess you could say. So, I, th- I think I'm already starting to repair, uh, prepare for the recoil. And, you know, it, it, it comes from a conversation that goes back a couple years ago, um, a place I was working, where a very insightful VP or, or CTO 
um, was pointing out that you know there there have been detractors of Agile or Scrum, or Kanban as they've emerged, and then when they start to gather popularity and momentum, people you know switch sides, and then when something new comes along beyond that, then of course you know the criticism comes you know starts emanating from the new the new thing yeah. towards the newer thing, and in any case. Um, I don't think that it serves us. We can slide back. We can step forward one step and slide back two, if we build up that first step to be something that's perfect, and then anything that doesn't measure up to that ideal is just heretical and needs to be destroyed and burned at the stake. That's, I think, a mistake. And so I, I, I look at myself and you know the way that I, I view agile and the way that it's adopted in, in a company. And a good example of this is the term scrum butt or scrum a fall or wet scrum, what are you going to call it? A lot of people who are the true blue um, dyed in the wool proponents of scrum, for example, will say that you know any degree of deviation from yeah. true north in scrum is you know a punishable offense. <laughs> and um, you know, that's unfortunately going to be a very subjective thing because everybody possesses their own personal ideal of what Scrum's supposed to be. And unfortunately, Jeff Sutherland and Ken Schwaber are just amazingly never in the room mm -hmm. uh, to settle the quarrel that comes up in the real world. So I'm reminded of a, a tweet, I'm trying to look for it right now, that Woody um, Woody. What is Will posted uh, earlier today. He, he said, mm -hmm. Agile tip to some folks, scaling Agile is like scaling fish. They mm -hmm. keep scaling off stuff until it looks like something they cannot swallow, or they can swallow, rather. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, something about what you were just saying reminded me of, mm -hmm. of that. Even though we weren't talking about scaling Agile, it's like you're, you're kind of stripping away all the stuff that you don't want to do until you get to something that is scrum butt, or right. you know, something it, that looks appeasing, appealing, but... So it's a double-edged sword, right? You know, um, you're never going to please everybody um, in the Agile community uh, or the Scrum community. Right. And um, so you could say, all right, I'm going to, you know, make my own homegrown or, you know, mm -hmm. home blend, brew, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And so then you depart, you start diverging. Mm -hmm. And I think what Woody's saying, and a lot of people often say, is and then you wake up in something that doesn't even resemble right. what you left. Yep. And... That could be a good thing, or it could be a bad thing. It's probably, um, well, I don't know. It's subjective, right? We, we don't know. But to still communicate in meaningful ways, when we start stretching um, a term like Scrum or Agile around anything, then we fail to communicate because we misrepresent ourselves. And so I guess maybe what I'm saying then is throw away the monikers Mm -hmm. If if you're going to leave, you know, change it in a significant way, wherever that that dividing line is, I don't know. It must be a very gray zone. Yeah. Um, but when you're going to diverge in a significant way, be honest with yourself and you know the people that you're talking to to say, now this is no longer what we had originally called Scrum, but we're okay with that because we're only experimenting. We're looking right. for something new that might suit us better. Yeah, and I think when it comes down to what is Agile for me, I always go back to the, the Agile Manifesto and the four values of Agile. And if you could yeah. do that, you could probably still strip out a lot of what is in like the prescribed flavor of Agile that you're using and still mm -hmm. you know, maintain the spirit of, of Agile. And that's the interesting mm -hmm. thing about Woody Zuil and many of his public utterances, I think, mm -hmm. is that uh, you know, he's not saying that... Uh, you know you don't have enough agile in what you're calling scaled agile mm -hmm. it's that you got too much extra yep. because the agile manifesto is a, an extremely succinct it's 68 words i counted yeah. it the other day it's 68 <laughs> words which is wow. yeah, as succinct as you can get yeah one more time i want to remind listeners that any topic can be introduced to this conversation by going to twitter and tweeting out with the hashtag Ask Agile Coffee, all one word, hashtag Ask Agile Coffee, and we'll be sure to get you up here on, on a few, your question up here, rather, on a, on a future episode. 
All right, our next topic is something that you put up here called 50 Agile Coaches. 50 yeah. Agile, and you told me about it a little bit, but sure. but I think I don't want to say anything. I want to leave no. it to you now here. Yeah, so I mean, this is something, it's really encouraging to me, I guess. It's good news, and I'm hoping that it's part of a continued trend. And, and that is, you know, in the recent past several months, we've, we've talked about is, is Agile growing? as you know actual implementations somewhere in the planet somewhere in the state the nation and it's really hard to answer because it's not like there's they put up these big flashing neon signs that say we're agile every time they launch this huge transformation initiative and ironically we learn about it like very much after the fact yeah um and so the big discovery for me was that a person I've known for a few months um, has moved from New Jersey over to San Diego and now relocating to the Bay Area where an agile transformation at the scale I've never even heard of mm-hmm. is going on as of like yesterday, literally. Wow. Yeah, and you know, when we say, okay, so 50 agile coaches, they, they're, they're hiring full-time, and I believe probably on a permanent basis, 50 agile coaches, that represents hundreds of scrum teams and thousands of software developers or software and hardware developers. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like um, this is so significant that it, like, you know, uh, overshadows the entire rest of, you know, the, the Agile world. But two things about it are encouraging, encouraging to me. So one is that it's recent. It's mm-hmm. not something that goes back to like, you know, the 2001, 2002, you know, time frame. Right. And then the other is um, that it's, it's a well-established, I guess you could say like well-known brand, Fortune 500, maybe even Fortune 20 for a while. Right. Um, and it's not like a weak sauce kind of approach. We'll just kind of ease into this agile thing. We'll kind of boil our frog slowly. <laughs> Doesn't know that it's agile. It just kind of woke up one day and there it was. It's it's a bold, you know, cut and dried, um, audacious transformation. Mm-hmm. And obviously there must have been a lot of groundwork leading up to that. Obviously, they must have done a lot of research and facts finding, right? And I would say probably quantified, data-driven mm-hmm. um, justification for an enormous investment. I wonder if they had uh, small projects, like sub-projects, pilots, you know, pilots uh, internal to the organization that kind of prove the theory out. And I wonder mm-hmm. if they also did the same with any other like process or methodology as well, you know, and compared well, the two. And, you know, I think many. that's the third reason why I'm so excited about this good news uh-huh. is we'll have 50 agile coaches, e- even one of them, uh, I'm sure, who's willing to spend a few minutes telling us about that, could uh-huh. share the lore, share the, the uh-huh. history of, of how this came to being. And, you know, from that, we could probably extrapolate that it's probably happening in many other large companies whether it's publicized or not. And mm-hmm. so the state of Agile in the world is uh, something that I think is probably bigger. Um, I'm probably unaware of it, but probably Agile is alive and well, even though it's not something that you know you, you see sponsoring rock concerts uh, right and left, um, or that you know, is, is building stadiums uh, and branding baseball jerseys with. Mm-hmm. I think that it just makes sense, and um, maybe the fanfare uh, isn't as you know pervasive throughout um, you know business publications and stuff. But I did see actually the other day in the Wall Street Journal um, the word Scrum Master appear. Yep. And part of the irony of it was that it was so void of understanding, <laughs> um, but that you know just the novelty of the term. Yeah. I, I think is what uh, attracted the journalist to it. Had you ever seen it? I wonder if we could do a search on the term and, and mm-hmm. have it pop up. But yeah, you po- you shared that with me, and uh, I got a chuckle out of it as well too. It sounded like they were painting the picture of the scrum master as a 
uh, 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 I can't remember the term. A would be, I think would be was mm -hmm. in there, or wannabe, mm -hmm. and it kind of insinuated that or implied that it was a uh, developer. The scrum master was a yeah. Developer I think they activity. really didn't know yeah, what a scrum master is. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this topic. And it brings us to the end of the episode itself. So thanks for listening to this topic of Agile Coffee. And before we conclude, I want to ask John if there's any last thoughts you want to share. Well, um, I guess just overall, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we, we do get a lot of questions from the listeners and that they spin off into either unrelated or only tangentially related topics. There's, there's so much going on and changing in the business world today and, um, you know, in, in political arenas as well. I, I would love to uh, engage with other, you know, enthusiasts of Agile Coffee to just talk about, you know, what's, what's going on and how we digest all of that. Yeah. Uh, as far as upcoming events, I don't know if we have anything. Oh, we, do. we do have a couple things. We have in May, we have uh, mm -hmm. the San Diego Scrum, what's that called? Day of Scrum. Day of Scrum. San Diego Day of Scrum. I think that that's the first week of June. Right. Yes. The I want to say the 13th. No, I can't remember. I think it is a Friday Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, that day, I, now that I remember. Yes. Uh, San, Diego Day, San Diego Day of Scrum is uh, in June on the 13th. Um, the cool thing about this, I think, is, you know, for the folks who are looking for the maximum bang for their buck in terms of, you know, taking some amount of money, maybe doing a little bit of travel to hear, you know, published authors speak on the topic of Agile and or Scrum and, you know, something that's going to be applicable to them in their work. This this is a very high ROI or ROTI return on time invested, and um, you know for for like fifty five dollars for an early bird ticket and seventy five dollars for just you know at the door or whatever it is until seats are all sold out. That's unprecedented. I think you know it just gets easier and easier for people to get exposure to some of the leading minds and that's fortunate so that is at uh, online at scrumdaysandiego.com again scrumdaysandiego.com coming up in june on the 13th and uh, do we have any other events coming up and by the way all of these will be posted on the show notes which is uh, online at agilecoffee.com slash episode 2 so you can see all these links there uh, I think that we do have something in I wanted to say we had something in May but I could be off maybe I'm just well, there is, this is so a New okay. Orleans uh, yeah that's right actually so yeah. the, the global gathering which I'll be going to yeah. um, of the Scrum New Alliance Orleans. Scrum Alliance yeah. um, I'm going to be there from like the 2nd to the 9th or so I think that those are, mm -hmm. yeah the, the following maybe the 4th to the 9th is the actual days of the conference mm -hmm. and um yeah, this is this is uh, the last one I think uh, for a year that will be in the continental United States. Next mm. one is going to be in Berlin sometime in the fall, and I think that we're on the cusp of something exciting. I mean, I, if we're free to rumor monger here, you know, I I've heard by putting my ear to the ground that there's something coming up in the Scrum Alliance that's supposed to address the larger corporate market um, for you know applying scrum uh, beyond a team that's a two pizza team mm -hmm. what they're going to call it what shape or form it'll take i do not know but i would say if they're going to make a big splash announcement that it's likely to happen at some some place like this global gathering but this would be my first I, mm -hmm. I can't really say that i know exactly how the format you know will will shape up but my expectations of seeing some great presentations are are high and there is uh, a track there that is going to address scrum outside of software development uh, which is you know one of my um, areas of interest so for me uh, may is a big month and it's coming up uh, in just a couple weeks now and then we also have the Agile Alliance putting on Agile 2014. That's going to be in Orlando mm -hmm. from the 28th of July to August 1st, and that's always a big conference. So you've got the two big conferences, the Scrum Alliance here in 
in May, and then in uh, in July, August, you've got the uh, Agile Alliance puts on the Agile 2014. And are there any other events that we want to talk about now? There's an, one more event that's going to be going on in San Francisco, uh, or the Bay Area, let's say, and it's very reasonably priced at about $175 for about a day and a half of program with keynote speakers and uh, you know various luminaries in the, the field of Scrum and Agile. And then there's a separate one that's in Utah. I believe, again, it's priced somewhere in the $100 plus uh, price range and roughly a day. And so as far as the local regional conferences go, again, these are probably the best bang for your buck, especially if you can reach it by car. And yeah, the hotel rates, I believe, would be very reasonable in Salt Lake. Also very good. And then the last one that I wanted to plug is coming up in September, the 11th and 12th, and that will also be here in Irvine, California. Agile Open Southern California. You can go to agileopencalifornia.com for more information on that. And it's a uh, kind of an on-conference, a one-day-long open conference uh, put on here, and and we'll both be attending that as well. One aspect I think most people don't uh, initially get when they look at you know attending the Agile Open is that you get a hundred dollar a mem- hundred dollar value membership with mm-hmm. the Agile Alliance bundled into your attendance of the Agile Open, and that this the Agile gatherings, Agile Alliance gatherings that happen um, have a discount for Agile Alliance members. Now, because the global gathering for Agile Alliance is going on in July, um, you won't be able to use this upcoming Agile Opens uh, discount, but if you're like me and attended last year, Mm -hmm. then of course, being a member would would get me a a more affordable rate to the the Agile Alliance's gathering in July. So um, it's absolutely a fantastic uh, spend there, good ROI for, for Agile Open. I hope everybody joins us there. And that brings us then to the end of the episode. So uh, thanks for listening in on us this episode. As I said, you can go to our show notes, agilecoffee.com slash episode two for links to all these different events, any of the books that we've mentioned, and um, and other points of interest. So I wanted to thank John for being here with me thank on you, episode sir. two. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to hearing your tweets. Uh, so please reach out to me, Vic, at Agile Coffee, on Twitter, at Agile Coffee. And we'll talk to you next time. Agile Coffee.